Well, good morning. I am uh, so glad to be here today. I'd be more glad if I just slept in. Right? It has been a wonderful, wonderful weekend here at the church. Yeah, and wonderful and exhausting. Um, today we're going to continue our series on the Ten Commandments. And I love that there are just ten of them because that's ten weeks. I didn't have to come up with a sermon topic. The ninth commandment just seems so simple. No lying. You know, as I was writing the intro to this sermon, um, excuse me, as the secretary was writing, the intro, I, I did a little uh, research. Uh, yeah, right. The secretary heard this on the radio, so maybe even saw it on Twitter. That um, I discovered the most told lie or the biggest lie common in America today is I have read and agree to the terms and conditions. Anybody guilty of that? I know I am. Yeah. When I thought about that little lie, it makes you think about all the lies we tell every day without even thinking about it. Where should I start? All right. Now let me ask you a question. He's going to stop. How many of you would like it if every day as you talked above your head was a thought bubble of what you were really thinking? Anybody want that? They probably got some kind of technology that can do something for that now, right? Well, none of us want it. Why? Because we don't want other people to know what we're thinking. Now, part of the reason, that's for everybody's benefit. Part of the time, it's because we may be less than truthful with what we're describing. Now, we are continuing in our series of the Ten Commandments, and we're on the Ninth Commandment, and it's on uh, no bearing false witness, and we're going to talk about what that means in a minute. But I was fascinated this week. I saw this uh, description that lying is becoming more accepted. Do you know that? In Child Magazine, I know all of you read Child Magazine, so you've already read this. But in Child Magazine, they published an article called The Truth About Lying. And this is what it said in part of that. The old view. Lying, like other issues of other morality, was seen only in black and white. Children were taught that all lying was bad and deserving of strict punishment and frequently reminded that lying will make your nose grow as long as Pinocchio's. Here's the new view. Today, some lying is considered normal. In fact, a child's first few lies are seen as an important step in the development of the self. Now, doesn't that sound really, like, intellectual there? His first lies are important to a child's development of the self. All right? Here's what I know. That the Bible says that lying is wrong. Now, is that what the actual commandment says? Thou shalt not lie? Is that what it says? It says thou shalt not bear false witness, right? And that means lying. But it means a more technical definition of that, and we'll get into that in a minute. But I was thinking this week of the way that our society has watered down lying. We don't call it lying anymore. We call it telling a story. Or did you fib? All right? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to help me out again this week. And I want you to turn around and 
talk to somebody around you. Uh, y'all are pretty spaced out, so some of you may have to take like a two or three mile trek, all right? But talk to somebody around you and come up with other things we say instead of lying. You got what I mean there? Other terms we use for lying. So turn around, do that. Anybody, anytime. Here we go. Other terms that we use for lying. All right, now start telling me some of them. Start talking to me. All right? Just kidding. Stretching the truth, right? Eli, you got one over there? Fib, what else we got? Embellishment, okay? Somebody in the first service said, ministerially speaking, all right? They were quickly shown the exit sign, all right? What else do we have? What other words do we use? Exaggeration, is that what you said, Judy? Poetic license, well, that's that's good, all right? Up in the balcony, Mr. Staten up there. Not the truth, right? Uh a half-truth. You ever t- heard that? It's a half-truth. I've never heard somebody call a three-quarters truth or a two-thirds truth. It's a half-truth. And if it's, uh, my mama used to tell me, if it's a half-truth, it's a whole lie, right? So we've come up with all these terms to make it not sound as bad. Uh, uh, the term in society today is also is putting spin on it, right? You put your own spin on the truth. Well, What we're going to talk about today is how does the commandment of God to not bear false witness play out in our lives on a daily basis? Now, here's what I want to tell you. The tongue is the strongest muscle in the body. James 3.5 says this, The tongue is small, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Confession time. Anybody ever said something that had unintended consequences? Everybody get your hand up, all right? You said something, and it was taken in a way you didn't intend it to be taken. It led to something you didn't intend to happen. Or it led down a path you expected, but it ended up worse than you thought. Isn't it amazing what we can start with a little gossip or innuendo. Um, I've been fascinated in the last week. Most of you know I'm a big sports fan. and I've been fascinated in the last week with the story of the quarterback that plays for Auburn, um, a guy named Cam Newton. And all week, if you follow sports at all, you know most of the story or what's come out. If you don't, here's the basics. Um, allegedly, Cam Newton's dad told some people that recruiting him, it would take between one hundred and $200,000 for him to go to their school. Well, in the NCAA, that's a Kind of a big deal, you know. Uh, it happens more than we want it to happen, but it just happens. What amazed me about it is how quickly the news spreads. In fact, there was one situation this week where a blogger in Alabama put something on his blog that was untrue that a radio host in Dallas said. And the radio host in Dallas started receiving death threats within the first two hours of this blogger posting something. We've come to a place in our society where we're so concerned about being first with news that we don't even check whether it's true or not. And so our world is saturated with untruth. Emails are sent around the world on a daily basis 
that have flat-out lies or untruths in them. I got one a few weeks ago. I don't remember what it was about, but when I get one of those kind of emails that sounds too good to be true, you know what I'm talking about, about Mr. Rogers and his military service career or something, you know. When I get one of those, I go to trutherfiction.com or snopes.com or whatever, and I went and checked this out, and it was completely bogus, untrue. And yet at the bottom of it, it told me if I did not forward this to 15 of my closest friends, then my salvation would be lost and I did not love Jesus Christ. Anybody ever got one of those emails? Well, I'm sorry I didn't forward it because it was untrue. Now, what's interesting is it took me 15 seconds to check whether or not it was true. But it's been perpetrated for years on just the idea that it's okay. We live in a world where bearing false witness is the norm, not the exception. There is now a multi-million dollar industry trying to get the latest celebrity news. TMZ, people, um, websites, television programming. And it doesn't matter whether it's completely true or not, because if you throw enough stuff against the wall, something's going to stick. And in chapter 20 of the book of Exodus, verse 16, it simply says, You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You know, there's that old adage that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a bunch of baloney. Anybody ever been hurt by somebody else's words? Uh Uh-huh. Most of us have been hurt recently by somebody else's words. They can be very damaging. So it's untrue. And what the ninth commandment really is teaching us is that we must be careful with the way that we speak. Now, here's the way that it was intended originally. It was intended originally for a people that needed to know how to govern themselves. And they had a court system. And so when you hear, don't bear false witness, we often think about the court system. Well, that's what this was for. You see, in in, uh, Israel at this time, in the people, in the nation of God at this time, they did not have crime scene investigators. They didn't have DNA evidence. They didn't have phone records. They didn't have audio recordings. They didn't have traffic cams. They didn't have any of those things that we use. In a court of law today, your eyewitnesses are considered your least reliable sources of information. In their court of law, eyewitnesses were usually the only sources of information. And so what could easily happen is, let's just take a for instance, Clay Winsky and I decide that we do not like Ben York at all. I tried to bring something that wasn't that far from the truth, all right? So I'm just no, let's just say I'm just joking. Ben and I joke, all right, it's okay. Clay and I decide we don't like Ben at all. So we come up with a plan. We're going to accuse Ben of stealing something from our tent. Okay? It's going to be Clay's tent. Clay's got a tent. He's got some good stuff in that tent. Ben stole some of that stuff. Okay? So we take the charge up to the court of law, and Clay says, Ben York stole my, what do you want to steal, Clay? His guitar. They didn't have guitars back then, but that's okay. We'll go with it. All right? He stole my guitar, okay, because Ben is an aspiring musician, and wants to do that. So Clay says, I found it in his tent. I know he stole it. It's my guitar. 
Well, do you have any other witnesses to corroborate? Absolutely. Here is Lyle. Did Ben still? I saw it. Ben stole the guitar. In their day and time, you know what happened? Ben's guilty. Too bad, Ben. And so what they had to build into place was a way to protect the innocent. In our society, we have something called innocent until proven guilty. In their society, you were guilty until proven innocent. And so what God does in putting in the top ten, in the ten words, in the ten important things I want you to know, is to say that when you come to a court of law, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. Speak truthfully in life. Now, it goes to a broader understanding that we ought to be people of truthfulness. We ought to be people who speak the truth for a few reasons. There are a few reasons this commandment is important. And the first one is because people's names are at stake here. People's reputations are at stake. You know how easy it is in our country, in our civilization, in our community, even in our church, to damage someone with just a few words? When you can tear somebody down. Um, in my previous church, I worked with a guy that, that was a politician and in government. He's been reelected for years. He's still serving in that way. But more than that, to me, he was, he was a friend. He um, served on our deacon body. He was our chairman of our trustees. He went to Brazil and served on mission in Brazil. He ministered with me in a soup kitchen. So I knew him. During one of his campaigns, somebody planted information in his campaign headquarters that said that he spoke in inconsiderate ways about the mentally handicapped or the mentally challenged. It was a terrible flyer, and it got spread all over. First thing I did, I went to him. I said, what's going on here? He goes, somebody walked into our office apparently waited till our secretary went to the back, placed it on the desk, and then 15 of them got distributed before the secretary ever got back. So it was a planned thing. It blew up. I'm pastoring at that time in Ripley, Tennessee. You may know what the population of Ripley is. Not much, all right? 7,000 people and falling. It's not. It's a small little town in nowhere, Tennessee. And this guy is a good guy. And I don't know why the election was that important, but it, he got something planted. Within 24 hours, I got phone calls at the church. Wyoming, Montana, up northeast somewhere. And almost all of them started the same way. How in the world could you let someone like him serve on your deacon body? This was a man that had a high reputation, fortunately still does, but that I saw in a moment, in a moment, almost had all that he had built his life of integrity for torn down by a false accusation. Now, it's naive to think that doesn't happen on a daily basis in school buildings, in workplaces, even in churches. And it is so easy planting a seed of discontent, planting a thought about who somebody is to quickly tear 
down who they are or what they're trying to achieve. And what the ninth commandment teaches us is that we must speak truthfully about our neighbors because of their name. It's also because of your word. People need to be able to trust you. I've heard my grandfather say many times, I remember when a man's word was his bond. They just meant that when he said what he said, you believed what he said. Um, We at our house, the thing that will get you in trouble, my kids in trouble the quickest, is telling us a lie. Parents, are you with me on that? I mean, they're kind of young, so I mean, there's not a whole lot they can get into at this moment, but... They tell us a lie. That is serious business. Why? Because I have to be able to trust them. I, as a parent, have to be able to know that what they're telling me is the truth. And I can tell you, one of the things I didn't expect as a parent is one of the things that that angers you and breaks your heart at the same time the most is when you know you have a child who is not telling you the truth. You with me there? You just know. And so it's important for people to be able to trust you. Now, here's, here's where that ties to our belief in, in Christ. It tells us in Scripture that God is a God of truth. It tells us that God's Word is and was and always will be true. We know in Scripture that the enemy, Satan, is called the father of lies. And so we have contrasted God's personality versus our enemy's personality. And when we speak falsehood, we are more like our enemy than we are like our God. And so it is a matter of conviction that we who are believers in the truth must be proclaimers of the truth. And so it's a value to the people. You're you're, you're protecting their reputation. You're protecting your own word. You're protecting the community. Communities are built on trust with one another and You're protecting the idea of truth. In our world, truth has gotten marginalized to where people don't even know when to recognize it anymore or what it is. Uh, I saw recently that um, I read about an autobiography, or not autobiography, a biography done of President Ronald Reagan. Now, uh, most of us in the room were alive when Ronald Reagan was president, and uh, historians go back and say that he is on the top of one of the best presidents we've had and all that kind of stuff. But they wanted uh, a um, biography written. And a guy named Edmund Morris, who had written some pretty important biographies, decided to do it. And he wrote this biography, and he called it Dutch. And everybody was excited to see him coming out with the official biography of Ronald Reagan. The book had Reagan's photograph on the front. But when it was released, Edmund Morris made it a mission. He said that he decided to mix in his own fictional imagination with the Reagan biography. The publisher said it was an improvement on the biographical form because it gave readability to the biography. A few years later, there was a guy named James Fry that wrote a book called A Million Little Pieces. Went on Oprah Winfrey, his autobiography, told this amazing story, sold millions of books. There was only one problem. He made up most of his autobiography. When they asked him about him, he kind of skirted the issue a little bit. 
Pride told USA, I wanted to play with the idea of what is fiction and what is nonfiction. I don't think that label is important. All material is manipulated. What's important to me is making connections with the readers. They feel something. What I'm saying is that it's important for us to speak the truth because the truth is under attack and there is absolute truth in our world. We serve a God of truth. And if we are going to be people of truth, we must speak the truth. Now, that sounds great. And USA Today pointed out it's one of those commandments that gives us a conundrum because everybody agrees lying is bad and almost everybody lies. Studies show that somewhere around 99.9% of people have spoken falsehood in their lives. I don't know the other 0.1% of people. 99.9%. Studies show that 80% of people admit to telling a lie in the last week. And sometimes they're small lies. Sometimes they're big lies. Sometimes they're important lies. Sometimes they're unimportant. But the point is they're lies. And what God wants us to understand as a God of truth, it's important for us to be speakers of truth. Let me tell you three ways you need to make sure you speak the truth. First of all, make sure you speak the truth about God. The first thing that we must do is to speak truthfully about who God is. Our country today has more false conceptions of who God really is than any Christian nation ought to have. More false conceptions. It's been interesting going through our world religions on Sunday nights. We finished that up tonight with the new atheism, people that don't believe in God at all. To see these other world religions, how much of their stuff has crept its way into our dialogue about what we think of God. These other Eastern and Western religions that speak about different things that we gradually incorporate into our thought press about God. Uh, I watched some of the CMAs on Wednesday night. Anybody watch CMAs? A few of us? All right. We live in Nashville, right? We're supposed to follow country music a little bit. Country music has its own God. I'm not talking about money or big belt buckles or anything of that, right? But if you listen to country music, they have this kind of description of who God is. And it's always the sanitized, man upstairs, good old boy God. If you listen to rock musicians out on the West Coast, they have a different interpretation of God, but they have a conception of who God is. If you listen to rap music, they have a different conception of God, but it's a conception of who God is. And we are inundated with all these understandings of who God is and what He's like. And we hear people on TV say, well, I don't think a God uh, would do that. A loving God wouldn't act that way. Well, I can't have, if that's your God, it can't be the real God. And we kind of mishmash all that together. When I was growing up, my granddad, Gramps, was a guy that liked to put everything on his plate into one concoction. You know what I'm talking about there? We'd have steak and gravy, mashed potatoes, and peas, and I like to keep those particular entities separate. Now, I'm not one of those. Anybody here one of those people that your food can't touch? Anybody there? Yeah, there's some. Your food can't touch, okay? 
Well, I, I, my food can touch. I'm okay if the gravy runs over. I'm okay if the mashed potatoes touch the peas. But Gramps almost immediately would take his plate and he would just fold it all in together. Anybody ever seen anybody do that? Yeah, okay. Makes your stomach kind of churn a little bit, right? Anybody here do that? Anybody here want to admit to that? There are a couple back. I saw a little. I saw this. All right? That's okay when it's food. But what I'm afraid we've done is we've taken all these concepts of God and we've just mixed them all together to where we don't have any distinction about what's true anymore. And so part of our job in speaking the truth is to learn all that we can learn about who God is, according to Scripture. The second thing is we need to speak the truth about ourselves. Some of the biggest lies we tell are about ourselves. Some of the biggest lies we believe are about ourselves. Most of us spend our days listening to believing lies without even knowing it. There's no hope. Things will never get better. I'm worthless. My life doesn't make a difference. Nobody knows me or loves me or cares about me. I'm alone. God is not in control. I can never be forgiven. All lies about who we are. We need to get a biblical concept of what God describes us as. An understanding that we are chosen. That God cares for us and loves us. That if we have accepted Him as Savior, there is no condemnation. That we have been adopted into His family. That the sufferings we have are for a short time. But that we will be glorified with Him. That God is for us, as we sang. So that means nothing can be against us. That He didn't even spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us. That Christ Jesus has died and been raised. So who can condemn us? And that nothing on this earth or outside this earth, in the spiritual realm or the physical, can separate us from the love of God. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, rulers, things present to come, powers, height, depth, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That's who we are. And sometimes we believe what everybody else says about us. One of the things that I read this this summer that really just kind of impacted me. It was a very simple statement, almost sounds like a children's book kind of statement, that just simply says that all God wants is for me to be who He created me to be. Now, that doesn't sound very complicated. I read it in a book by a guy named John Ortberg, and so I thought, well, we'll read it and we'll see what it's about. But what he says is most of us in our lives are trying to be the person our family wants us to be trying to be the person our friends want us to be, trying to be the person other people want us to be, trying to be even the person that we think we ought to be. But all that matters is that we simply are the people that God intends for us to be. You know what's freeing about that as a pastor even is? I'm not even supposed to be the me that you want me to be. I'm supposed to be the me that God intended. And when you're that, You don't listen to all the other stuff going on outside of you. And here's the last thing. You need to tell the truth about your neighbors. Somebody has said that the best way to incorporate telling the truth is just simply to pause before you speak. Think to yourself if you're in a situation where you're about to say something about someone that isn't present. Would I say what I'm about to say if they were standing here? When you're preparing yourself to tell something at work that, that you're, you feel like you need to tell a coworker, will this be beneficial to the company? Is it necessary 
to describe. When you're talking to your friends at school, does this piece of information I'm about to share further my witness and my standing with people understanding that I serve the Lord? Even asking the question, if you're about to speak the truth, is what I'm about to speak going to be spoken in love or is it an attempt to build myself up or tear someone else down? The point of all of that is simply to say, when it says in chapter 20, verse 16, that we're not to give false testimony, the idea there is that we are to speak truthfully with all that we do to build people up around us. 